Shalom, this is Shomer Man with your Parsha. Get you some insights for the Parsha Kitetse. Um, we are getting ready to head right into Shabbat. And so uh, this is the final night of Midnight Torah study for this week. And um, man, so much I want to share about this week's Torah portion. But so I don't get myself in trouble again, I'm going to go ahead and say the opening bracha and start with the insights. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher bakarbanu mikol hamim, Venatan lanu et torato. Baruch atah Adonai, Noten ha-Torah, Amen. Adonai, may you bind us to the Lapid Mashiach Yeshua. May you grant us eyes to see. Amen. Now, now I don't want to get myself in trouble being that, you know, it's just so easy when you're in Torah study to just start, you know, going all over the place. And so um, we've talked a lot about the warfare that Kitaite really admonishes us in in this week's Torah portion. And so we're going to go ahead and fly all the way to chapter 22, verse 10. And um, I'm going to bring down, with the help of Hashem, Shonaf Pincus, some Zohar from Rabbi Shimeon Bar Yokai, Chizkuni, and some, obviously, Kehert Humash. So, here we go. We're going to start with Kehert Humash on the Interpolated. It says in Devarim 22.10, As you have been taught... Vayikra 1919, you must not crossbreed your livestock. As an additional precaution, you must not even plow a field simultaneously with both an ox and a donkey. For, or for that matter, with any two types of animals. Similarly, you must not drive them together if they're yoked together in order to carry a load now, obviously, let's go ahead and escalate this very quickly. Mashiach Yeshua and Matityahu chapter 11. Let's start with verse 28. Come to me, all you who are struggling and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Now, the following verse says, One Shabbat during that time, Yeshua was walking through some wheat fields. His Talmudim were hungry, so they began picking heads of grain. Verse 2, this is Matthew chapter 12. On seeing this, the Perushim said to him, Look, your Talmudim are violating Shabbat. But he said to them, haven't you ever read about or haven't you ever read what David did when he and those with him were hungry? He entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence. He ate the showbread, which was prohibited both to him and to his companions. It is permitted only to the Kohanim. Or haven't you read in the Torah that on Shabbat, the Kohanim profane Shabbat, yet are blameless? I tell you, there is in this place something greater than the temple. 
if you knew what I want or if you knew what I want compassion rather than animal sacrifice meant, you would not condemn the innocent for the son of man is the Lord of the Shabbat. So if you kind of look at the context of what is going on, it's so interesting that there is this idea of yoke and then going through a field and eating grain and then this accusation of violating the Shabbat. And my question is, what were the perishim doing in order to notice this? Because on Shabbat, you know, you're really devoted and dedicated to serving Hashem. You're not uh, doing normal mundane activities. And the violating of Shabbat here was not even um, connected or brought down to any kind of anchor points of how they violated Shabbat. You know, and so you're kind of looking and it's just like they're picking grain from the field and they're violating Shabbat. So how does that even match up? Furthermore, Mashiach Yeshua escalates this to a whole nother thing where it's almost as if, well, I mean, for all thoughts considered, the world is, the whole earth belongs to Hashem and the fullness thereof, as it says in Tehillim. And when you think about that aspect, Mashiach is talking about David and his men who were with him eating the grain from the, the showbread table in the temple. So the fact that they're picking grain from the field here, it's as if the field is considered to be the showbread table where this grain is growing. And so Mashiach is allowing his men, just like David allowed his men to eat this bread. And then he goes into something greater than the temple is here. I want compassion rather than animal sacrifice, you know, and then he's the Lord of the Shabbat. So it's just kind of like, wait, so you're considering the world like Hashem's temple. And then there's this idea of, you know, the king is allowed to eat from the, the showbread table because the shulkan, which is the showbread table, is called the king's table. And so that's brought down uh, way back in Parsha Shemot about how, you know, the showbread table is all about the king and all that. So that's beyond the scope of this Josh, but just really bringing down some juxtaposition and some framework, because if you look at what's going on in our Torah portion this week, Devarim 2210, you're seeing that there's this idea of plowing in the field. And last week we read about not muzzling the ox while it is threshing the grain. Well, it's so crazy because he's Kuni on this verse is talking about do not plow with an ox and a donkey together pulling the plow. The ox being an animal that chews the cud is constantly eating, whereas the donkey in the meantime is being overworked. So there's this idea the donkey not is not necessarily going to eat what's in this field, even though, I mean, they pretty much eat, I mean, what they, whatever, you know, but, you know, it's just like the ox is definitely going to be partaking of food and bringing it back up and chewing it again. And the donkey is like, okay, I'm here working and you're over here eating. And so you have this idea that there are two different elements going on. And then go back to Mashiach with the take my yoke upon you. Well, if we're not allowed to put two types of animals in one yoke, 
what's Mashiach really saying about us when when we're to yoke with him? There's this idea of you put that together with what's brought down in chapter 12 of Matthew with David and his men, Mashiach and his Talmudim, connected to Mashiach telling us to come to him and take his yoke with him. There's this idea of that we're made into his likeness. You know, that's why Mashiach literally says, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. In verse 28, Matthew 11:28, I will give you rest. So it's I, I, I'm doing this. I, something greater than the temples here, you know. And obviously, remember the I is connected to Hashem because Mashiach can't do anything on his own. He says, apart from my father, I can do nothing. So we know that if Mashiach is saying this, he's basically saying, whatever Hashem has already told him. So Mashiach is connecting us to Hashem. And when we connect to Hashem, that's where transformation happens. This is why, again, I love bringing up the story of the woman who touched the zitzit of Mashiach and how she was healed. Upon her connecting to the zitzit, which are like the gleanings, the, the offshoots of the harvest, you know, when you harvest your field you don't harvest the corners you leave the corners for the poor and so you know the person wearing the zitzit you know they're they're engaged in torah but it's like the outflow of their torah learning is embodied in the zitzit and so it's just like this is the beginning of hashem connecting to his mitzvot is the zitzit and so when this woman grabs the zitzit she's getting connected with gleanings from the word of God, gleanings from the essence of who Hashem is. And there's this idea that the, well, there's a teaching really. There are different ways you can uh, wrap the zitzit. You know, there's one with like 39 coils, and that obviously represents the 40 minus one lashes of Mashiach. And then there's the five knots, eight strings uh, version. And uh, there are a different number of coils uh, for each section between the knots and then at the end you have these strands that are left over and so you have this idea that there's five sections and then there's eight offshoots from those five sections and obviously those five knots represent the five books of Torah but when you look at five plus eight you get 13 which is the definition of Echad which is oneness and unity and then you get the definition of Ahava or you get the gematria for Ahava, which is love. So love and unity is embodied in the corners and the zitzit. And when you grab a hold of that, it changes you. And this is what happens when you get into the yoke of Mashiach. He changes you. You're no longer this separate entity, this separate animal, if you will. And you're brought into a similar likeness to where you're imitating him. So instead of the picture brought down in Devarim 22.10 of an ox and a donkey, you now have the ox and the ox. And why do I say the ox and the ox? Because remember, Mashiach Yeshua is Mashiach ben Yosef, as well as Mashiach ben David and Mashiach ben Yosef being the son of Yosef. Yosef is called an ox. And that's in Bereshit uh, 49.22 and... Um, 
divine 3317 this idea of an ox and, and a bull and all of that um, and again 4922 says that Yosef uh, Bereshit 4922 says Yosef is a fruitful vine near a spring okay so you got living water you got the vine and the branches that whole context and then uh, looking at the interlinear because this is bringing out some more so 4922 is the the vine and then the ox is this is very very interesting if you look at different translations of bear sheet 4922 one is talking about Yosef being a fruitful vine and other translation is saying Yosef is the foal of a wild donkey the foal of a wild donkey at the spring and then you have um, where is it okay so what's really crazy is Bereshit 49.22 some translations literally use the word the wall or it uses the word ox because this word sure at the end in the Ivrit of this verse is also the word for sure, which is ox. But it's translated here as wall, and some of the English translations translate it as ox. And so this is like very, very interesting that this is the case. So I have no idea why this is the way it is. But um, just looking at different um, uses of sure or sure in this case, it's talking about there's this idea of carrying and traveling on a journey and like a caravan. And so the word ox comes into play here and then <coughs> Sleeka. Well, I mean, this is, I have no idea what is going on. So um, just looking at that is absolutely mind boggling right now. So let me just look at the Orthodox Jewish version and be all set with that um, OJB. What you got? It says Yosef is the son of a fruit tree, even the son of a fruit tree near a spring, its daughters, its branches run over the wall. But yet, somehow, there's a translation that Yosef is an ox for Bear Sheep 4922, so I have no idea where that would come from. <laughs> Yosef is a young ox whose steps are turned to the fountain. That's okay. But anyway, um, so Mashiach ben Yosef would be basically like the ox uh, when it comes to the yoking. And then you have this idea of, you know, us joining in with him and being an ox. And so like the vine being attached to the vine. And so we would be um, doing the same things that an ox would do. You know, we would work and eat all at the same time so back to his kuni 
after all of this craziness over here. Um, it says this is an example of inflicting pain on living creatures. An alternate interpretation, God's mercy, not only to human beings, but to all his creatures. OK, God's mercy extends not only to human beings, but to all of his creatures. Therefore, these two categories of beasts being mismatched as one is far stronger than the other. It would be causing the donkey pain to be a part of such a team pulling the plow. So the donkey is definitely a beast of burden, but the ox is like he's like into this and like going for it, you know, and then um, commenting on the word together which is Yakadav, uh, same verse of Devarim 22.10. It says that this is forbidden only when the two animals are tied together to the plowshare. Our sages to the plowshare, or our sages in the Talmud, tractate Baba Kama, folio 54, state, what is stated here includes any two animals of different species but excludes two human beings pulling the plow together even if one is considerably stronger than the other the reason why this law is written here is that we previously spoke about sowing and plowing is so closely related to sowing now i know he's kunin did not just drop the baba comma 54 and then Baba Kama 54 just say this excludes two human beings, even if one is stronger than the other. So now back to Matthew 11, that where Shiach is saying, take my yoke upon you. Well, there's an element of that where it's like you're likened to the same animal that Mashiach would represent being the ox. So. You know, coming out of our slavery and, um, you know, confinement, which would be Mitzrayim. And Mitzrayim is likened to a donkey. So out, us outside of, of Emunah, outside of covenant with Hashem, we're likened to the flesh of a donkey. You know, we're after our own desires. We're after the material things of this world. And this is why we have to die to the way of this world, die to the materialistic aspects of existence and and ride on top of the donkey like Mashiach did, you know, overcoming the world like Mashiach did. And we can only do that by his grace, which is entering into covenant with him. So we move from being a donkey to an ox. But even if you don't even go that route, the fact that, you know, Mashiach himself has this yoke and then he brings us into this yoke with him obviously he's way stronger than we are because he existed in this world and and the likeness of man being tempted in every way but did not you know go with those temptations and just this past evening uh, i mentioned the fact of temptations are really you know our evil desires within us you know, causing us to be influenced to uh, to run into sin, you know, and how that's really what we're waging war against our evil desires, those things within us that cause us to be tempted. It's not the fact that we're being tempted, but it's like what's working in us now 
is moving us into the position of temptation as opposed to us just saying, oh, I'm tempted and I'm not trying to do this. And it's like, well, you got some evil things going on inside of you that you have to fight against. And if you don't fight against them, they will get the best of you and they will move you into a position of temptation, which with your desires working with that temptation, that's uh, not good. And that causes you to be led into sin. And so uh, this is when I made the statement, the devil made me do it becomes uh, very, very not valid because, again, there is a level of influence, but influence only happens if we let it in, you know, like the fluence when it comes in. That's the problem. So Mashiach is calling us to this plow and this yoke. There is no other yoke than Torah, you know, and the Torah is supposed to bring about this harvest it's supposed to bring about this transformation of the field you know and again man is tree of the field back to parasha shof team and then uh you think about the fact that the field being plowed what causes the tree to be um brought forth you know you have to plow and put the seed in there you know and then remember the seed the offspring you know um our deeds um everything that we're doing in Torah being fruitful, you know, like there's this idea of of harvest and abundance and um, perpetuation of righteousness, the kingdom, you know, establishing the kingdom upon the earth, planting in goodness, you know, and how we receive teachings and how it says that, you know, there's the parable of the seed and the soils that Mashiach brings down. And so everything is just kind of like, happening right there as far as the picture goes but whether you look at an ox with an ox or mashiach like in human likeness calling us to bring our human self into his yoking okay so there's transformation there and um it's totally something that is legit and it's um matching it's not mismatching so with that being said I mean, I really don't really know what's going on right now because I'm so thrown off by the ox verse and Bereshit and then thinking about Hizkuni really just said that, you know, there's not a mismatch element. Even if you have two human beings pulling a plow together, if one is considerably stronger than the other, because this whole prohibition about having the ox and the donkey in a in a single yoke plowing together with that being such a incorrect and improper thing to do when it comes to animals that's the case but when it comes to human beings no that's not valid so i mean okay so let's go to vaikra 1919 because this is really the connection to devarim 2210 says you shall observe my laws literally the ivrit on that verse says hukotai et hukotai tishmeru literally the olive tav of my decrees the olive tav of my statutes because remember huk is a statute it's a torah commandment to which there seems to be no rationale or reason and remember this is truly the essence of hashem because when we're doing his will just because he commanded it that's the most purest element and form of torah 
And so you have this idea here where you're really getting down into the hukot team, the hukat, the hook of the Torah. And so that we shall be guardian of, we shall be observant. Shomer, we shall observe. And remember, the hukat uh, is also the engraving, the piercing. And remember, the sapphire tablets have these piercings and engravings on it. And so you're really getting into the higher elements of Torah that's beyond our comprehension, beyond our understanding. So when you are being observant of Hashem's laws, i.e. the words of Messiah, i.e. taking the yoke of Messiah up on you, learning of him, being granted rest, that's what we're called to do. So that's Vayikra 19.19, just the first couple of words there. And uh, if you look at the initial letters of the phrase et hukat tishmeru, you have the word echat, which is the word for one. And so, um, yeah, becoming one with Hashem is kind of a thing. Uh, let me look up a context where echat is used. Okay, echat. Wow. Bereshit 11.1, first used. Ready for this? <laughs> and had all the earth one language and speech. One language and one speech. It uses echat for the language. And echat in this verse, Strong's number 259, is definitely the root word echad. And here it's used as same language, was of one language, of a single uh, entity. So again, being yoked with Mashiach brings us into this single entity. There's this transformation element. There's the, even though he is stronger than I am, it's as if we're one strength. And so this is the idea where we understand that when we make shuva, even though we've fallen short, Hashem accredits it to us as merit, as if we were obedient. Because we've realized, Hashem, we only fell short because we wanted to. I mean, we didn't want to, but we did. You know, the, the whole thing is we can do what Hashem commanded us to do. You know, when a parent tells their child, hey, I need you to behave. The child has the ability to behave because... If the child did not have the ability to behave, the parent would not have requested it. If the parent requests it and know the child can't do it, uh, some intervention needs to happen. So how much more so, if that's the case, if you think about Hashem, why would Hashem command us to do something that he knows we can't do? He made us and he is all about uh, proper governance. We see here he's trying... He's letting us know, don't be cruel to animals. So how much more so human beings? Don't be cruel. So why would Hashem say, hey, I'm going to need you to um, refrain from hating your neighbor. And I need you to love your neighbor. It's just like, I can't do that, Hashem. That's not even possible. It's like, well, I did it because I kind of died for you while you were in the midst of your sin. And I did that in an act of love. Like a, a lot of love because it says there's no greater love than this than a person lay down his life for his neighbor, you know, and it's just kind of like, wow. But anyway, this uh, this element of echat, this element of one, a single entity, we can bring that down from you shall observe my laws. 
So anyway, that's Vayikra 1919. But if you keep going, it says, You shall not let your cattle mate with a different kind. Now, I'm looking at some commentary here, and I believe it was... Is it the Ibn Ezra or is it the Sifri? Uh, let me just read these. Okay. Ibn Ezra. He says, The reason for mentioning, Do not interbreed different kinds of animals after the previous commandments is to say to us, just as the requirement to be holy implies that you must not do violence to other human beings, so also it implies that you must not do anything to animals which alters the work of God. This is why scripture says, preserve my decrees. At Hukotai Tishmeru can also be read as preserve my decrees. So when you become one with Hashem, because remember the initial letters of that phrase is Echat, like Aleph Ket Tav, be one, be single in thought and entity and uh, desire. And so that is preserve my decrees. You must preserve each species and not interbreed one species with another. And, you know, you think about the fact of when you... Um, interbreed and, and cross these uh, cattle or if you cross the seeds of the field and you put on the mixture of wool and linen, you're creating something that is a very skew of what Hashem, you know, and you may think, well, I'm pretty sure we uh, take license upon things that we can do that change the work of God, like when we get circumcised. But it's like, well, Let's let's think about that real quick, because you would think when we're created, we're born into the womb, we're born uncircumcised, and then we get circumcised on the eighth day. And Hashem made that a commandment as if to say, change what I originally said. Well, go all the way back to Adam, the first human that was fashioned upon the earth was not or was circumcised. He was not uncircumcised. I don't know. I seem to have this thing lately where I try to express myself with double negatives. So I was going to say the first human being was not uncircumcised, you know, so it's just kind of wait, what? But anyway, I digress. I'm just having way too much fun thinking out loud. Need to just stick to the point. So anyway, um, when the first man, original man, the first Adam, when he was brought forth, he was born. He was brought forth in fashion circumcised like that's the way we're supposed to be we're not supposed to be you know having this shell around us of materialistic sensual desires because that's what uncircumcision is it's like a heathen or heathen and a heathenist you know and so you're like after just whatever you're after it's like i don't care i disregard any standards this is just what i do uh, obviously, I want to try to be a good person, but, you know, if it pertains to something that I desire, then that's what I'm going to go for. And it's just like, wow, uncircumcision, that's kind of crazy. So anyway, uh, you would think things like that are, are inappropriate, but they're not. You know, you, you got to get circumcised. That's a Torah thing. You're not changing anything. You're actually making something better. <laughs> And getting back to the original. So not only are you casting off sins and weights that so easily entangle, 
but you're fixing and focusing yourself upon the author, perfecter, and finisher because you're again at Hukotai Tishmeru. You're preserving his commandments. You're making yourself one with him. So, uh, and Ibn Ezra. So now, where I wanted to go with this is I want to look at the uh, this uh, element of the the bread, the wheat, and the union with the yoke. I love Matthew 11 and 12, like right in to right at the end of 11, going into chapter 12, we have this picture of being yoked and, uh, you know, being brought into one with Hashem and then through Mashiach. And then you have chapter 12 about eating grain and being one with the, the person who the grain belongs to. So Mashiach, in a sense of saying, haven't you read about David and his man eating the showbread? My Talmudim are over here eating my showbread. You know, this is the produce of the earth. And the earth belongs to me because my father gave it to me. You know, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So there's that. So what they're doing right now is just going into the pantry on Shabbat and pulling out ready-made food. At that point, there's no violation. If you have a bag of chips on Shabbat, you know, all you need to do is just open a bag and eat. And it's just kind of like, that's not a violation. Or if you had bagels, you know, you can open the bag of bagels and start eating bagels. Take the lid off of, you know, uh, pre prepared food already. And, you know, have yogurt or have some fruit or whatever, you know, this container. You're just accessing it. So that's what was going on in Matthew 12. And the Perushim are like, what in the world? What is going on? Somebody needs to get told about this. You know, can't believe this uncircumcised guy over here is just, you know, and it's just like, whoa, whoa, wait, what just happened? You know, like that's that escalated quickly. Just taking all that into account, I decided that I would look up some Kabbalah on the parsha. I don't know why, but um, via the Zohar, not Madonna Kabbalah. Not don't get that all twisted in there. Practical Kabbalah and spooky Kabbalah, like all that kind of stuff. But Torah Kabbalah, mystical teachings of the Torah. So the title of this is the Torah of a United World. Based off the teachings of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yokai, which is the author of the Zohar. And um, this is based on Metok Midevash, which is a Jewish work. And then it says, uh, when the spiritual and physical unite, the Jewish people are considered sons of the king. Mashiach is the king. And so... When the spiritual and the physical unite, that's what happens when we yoke with Mashiach. Because remember, he's spiritual flesh, you know, and um, the Torah being made flesh, the Torah is spiritual. Remember, the Torah is spiritual. Uh, that's brought down in Romans chapter 8. And then you have us physically uniting with that which is spiritual, which is embodied in Mashiach. And so when we do that, we're considered the sons of the king. So, okay. It says, how unfortunate are those who only eat the straw instead of the real fruit of Torah 
and don't understand the inner secrets of the Torah. They learn only the simple stories as they are written and the logical deductions associated with them. They learn the stories and the strict rules, but the stories are like straw and strictures are like wheat. The stories are like straw and the strictures are like wheat, which in Hebrew the word is kita, and the word chet, or in the chet part of the word kita means sin, which is chet in Hebrew, and the he at the end of the word kita is a letter from the world of truth. Uh, so by the way, the word strictures here, it says the strictures are like wheat. And so they're talking about the the prohibitions of Torah, like the rules and things like that. So they're looking at the word hita, which is the word for wheat. And it says the chet at the first part of that word is sin. And the hey at the end of that word is a letter from the world of truth. So there's this idea from going out of sin and towards truth. And it says, wheat was the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which Adam and Hava ate in the garden of Eden. Thus, wheat is a mixture of good and evil, chaff and seed. Man, come on. The chaff and the seed, the wheat and the tares separated, you know, let the wheat grow with the chaff and during the uh, the harvest when Mashiach returns with his many angels and how they're going to separate the wheat from the chaff. Okay, it's right here. It's that, my goodness. <sighs> I don't know what's going on. I'm trying my best to just cohesively read all this, but it ain't helping. It's not working. I'm losing my mind. All right, so thus wheat is a mixture of good and evil, chaff and seed, sin and holiness. Come on, man. As reflected in the letters of its name, because the chet and the hay and the word kita, which is the word for wheat, the spiritual source of reasoning and logical deductions is from this source of mixed good and evil, which explains why using logic alone to understand the Torah is like eating straw instead of proper food. Boy, that's statement is so true because you know you try to logically look at how to observe torah and how each commandment works in tandem with another commandment and you're like logically this doesn't make sense it's like yeah let me show you my bank account logically it doesn't make sense how in the world am i making this amount of money and yet i'm called to tithe and then i'm called to take care of my financial obligations the math is not adding up it doesn't make sense it's like, great, I'm glad you realized that. And uh, now, let me introduce you to Mashiach. Let me introduce you to the living Torah, which takes something that just is completely out of whack and out of place and transforms it. There you go. And so it says, now it is not the accepted thing for a king or queen to ride on a donkey. So now we're just going to go right into Mashiach riding on a donkey. That's what that's what's going to happen right now. It says in Hebrew, the word Chamor, which shares the same root as the word Chumrot, which means strict rules. The word for donkey shares the same root as these strictures that we talked about before. It says majesty rides on a horse, as it is written. 
You rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation. Habakkuk 3.8 One does not degrade a queen by putting her on a donkey, and certainly not the king himself. So Mashiach Yeshua riding in on a donkey is seen as an act of de degradation. So Mashiach degraded himself for our deliverance. He lowered himself to cause us to be exalted. And might I say, when we're yoking with him and he is super strong and we're not, you know, imagine how that scenario works. It's like, let's pull this plow. Great. I'll pull it with you. Let's go, Mashiach. And then he starts pulling and you're like, uh, I'm tired. <laughs> and he's just like, I'm um, over here pulling and you're tired and you haven't pulled. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm trying. It's just like, are you? Because I'm, I don't know. We're probably about to go in circles. <laughs> but, you know, the beautiful thing about that is when we try, even though we're tired, even though we're weak, there's this, I'm, I'm telling you, there's this transformation that happens. And it's just like your pulling turns into like this massive uh, feat of strength. You know, I think of Shimshon, Samson, you know, how the we went over this in the Shabbat gleanings of Parashat Naso that Shimshon was lame in both of his legs. And so you got this like extremely physically disabled guy who, by the way, is not very big, is not very buff. And he's a Nazarite and he is, you know, fighting Philistines and like taking them to school and like destroying and wiping out, you know, squadrons of Philistine. And it's just like, but he's lame in both his legs. He shouldn't even be able to walk, much less fight one person. And he's fighting hundreds and thousands of people. I submit to you that there's this element of strengthening and transformation that is happening. And that's what happens when we yoke with Mashiach. He says, I will give you rest. What happens when you rest? So then this article keeps going. This little uh, insight here from Zohar. It's saying one does not degrade the queen by putting her on a donkey and certainly not a king himself. It is more proper for the king's servant to ride a donkey. Okay, so there. remember I was bringing down from Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer that there are uh, kings of Israel and the first king or the last king will be like the first king. Remember the the first king appointed over Israel, Slika, was Shaul, which is from the, which he was from the tribe of Benjamin. But he was actually in all reality the second king of Israel. Notice I didn't use the word appointed. Hashem himself is the first king of Israel. That's why he says, I was your king. Let's see. Let me give you that source. Because it can't be just running off into sourceless hatred right now. Can't afford that. Well, first of all, um, Yeshayahu 43.15. I am the Lord, your holy one, Yisrael's creator, your king. Uh, interesting note, Yochanan 19.14 says, here's your king. Pilate said to the Jews, talking about Mashiach. And Zechariah 9.9, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. Look, your king is coming to you. Um, yeah. First uh, Samuel 8.18. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you. Um, uh, Shemot 15, 18. 
Adonai Yim Lok, literally Yod Melech, the Yod King, forever and ever. Uh, so Yod Melech, uh, there's that. And then um, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. The Lord has a, that's Tehillim 45, 6. Hashem, the Lord, has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. Then the Lord sat as king at the flood. Yes, Adonai sits as king forever. So there is all of that. Here we go. This is the verse I was thinking of. First Shamuel 12, 12. When you saw that Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, although Adonai your God was your king. Hashem has been king, and he shall always be king. And this idea of anybody but Hashem being our king is a smokescreen. You know, it's just like, that's only uh, something that we're allowed because, again, just like the captive woman, just like the uh, the get, the certificate of divorce in this week's Torah portion, and so many other things in Torah like that, it's not that we need to run into doing these things, but it's because of our hardness of heart that this was granted to us. And because we rejected Hashem as king, and asked for a human king, Hashem was like, I desire that you don't do that, but go ahead. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, wow, how how um, heartbreaking must that be? You know, you think about Hashem being the king of the world, the, the creator of the universe, and his own creation has been like, no, I don't want you. I want something else that can do what you're what you're doing for me. And it's just like, wow, you're going to substitute me out for something lesser to do the same thing? Um, that's messed up. But that's cool, because I'm going to substitute myself so I can uphold what you're supposed to be upholding with me. Namely, when Mashiach Yeshua is brought forth into the world and he dies in our place, all while upholding the Torah of Hashem. One who upholds the Torah is upholding eternal life, but yet in Mashiach upholding the Torah and eternal life, he submits himself to death, which we've already seen that before in Moshe because Parashah Vezot HaBaraka talks about the only reason Moshe died is because Hashem commanded him to. So that's heavy. And so you think about Mashiach being obedient to death and being a servant, you know, that takes on a whole new meaning now. And so, again, what we were trying to do with Hashem, we were doing completely the opposite. Where Hashem was our king, but we didn't want him. So we cho chose that uh, request and asked for another king who would basically do what Hashem is supposed to do, for, what Hashem was doing and is doing for us. But yet, we didn't want him. We wanted somebody else. And then... He has requested of us and asked of us to keep his commandments, to transform the world, literally bring goodness and light and salvation into the world through bringing in the spirit, bringing in Messiah, you know, and we're supposed to do that. And we didn't. So he was like, well, since you didn't, I will. 
And it's just like, this is all in the context of us taking Hashem and throwing him aside. You know, you think about why should we love our enemies and pray for our persecutors and bless our persecutors and, you know, don't gloat over our enemies' uh, failures and destruction. Like, don't don't be excited about that. Well, that's because the heart of a God, the heart of Hashem, is that none would perish. That all of this uh, corruption and these false things in the world that they don't, that they wouldn't happen, that they wouldn't be. But yet his mercy, he's allowing all of this to happen and play out because in the end, everything is going to be used to the good of those who love him. And so if you think about how far away, you know, we were at one point or we may be now, you know, I don't know whoever's listening. If you are at a position in your life where you feel like you're far away from Hashem, the blood of Messiah Yeshua brings you near. And you enter into the blood of Messiah Yeshua through Teshuvah. For those of us who are walking with Hashem and realizing where we came from and realizing where we're going, we're still on the same path and the same position as one who is far away from Hashem and being brought near by the blood of Messiah Yeshua. So we don't have any room to puff ourselves up and elevate, you know, and see ourselves over somebody else who may be considered, quote unquote, a sinner. Because all of us need to make Teshuvah. All of us need to be immersed in the blood of the Lamb, Mashiach Yeshua. Need to have it on our doorposts, which is what the mezuzah is. And then you think about what the mezuzah embodies. It is literally the word of God on flesh and a, you know, and sometimes mezuzot are made out of earthen vessels. You know, you get you some clay mezuzah or something like that. And that's a picture of a human being that we're earthen vessels and we should be containing, you know, the riches of the glorious treasures of Torah, the riches of Mashiach, the excellencies of knowing him, which is what the Torah is. So that's what Rabbi Shaul was saying, that he'd throw all of his life away for the excellencies of Mashiach, you know, to really get down into the uh, the depths of the Torah, which is what this uh, teaching of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is bringing down, you know, when you get into the secrets of Torah and the fruit of Torah. That's what Shaul said. You're like, if, it, if it's not for this, then, you know, everything else is just forget about it. I can be a Pharisee of Pharisees. I can be of the tribe of Benjamin. You know, I can be a get you some Shomer Jew. But if I ain't got all this excellency of Messiah, if I don't have the essence of the word of God within me, it's nothing. I'm wasting my time. Back to this over here. It says, in the mystical realms, these tractates, Eruvin, Nida, and Yevamot, they represent the control of the physical realm as it is given over to the angelic forces supervised by the faithful servant of the king, Mem. Just, what just happened? Okay, I skipped a whole lot of stuff, so let me go back. They just dropped Memtet in there like, yeah, 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 of course. All right, so we were talking about the king riding on the donkey. The word donkey being strict rules as far as the root word that it shares, which is an element of Torah. And it says the majesty rides on a horse from Habakkuk. And then it says it's more proper for the king's servant to ride on a donkey rather than the king himself. So the king and the king's servant 
are embodied in Messiah Yeshua because remember Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David. Mashiach ben Yosef is the suffering servant. And then Mashiach ben David is the reigning king. So here's your king and the king's servant riding on a donkey. So bring in Zechariah 9.9, just and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey. The king and the king's servant, basically. It says the physical word or the physical is called Chom Riyut in Hebrew and is associated with the word Chamor, which is donkey. So physical, material things is Chomirut or Chom Riyut, which is related to Chamor, which is donkey. And then it says, this is the real reason it is written about the Mashiach, Zechariah 9.9. And then it says the word humble in Hebrew is Oni. And in that verse, it is spelled Ayin Nun Yod. And then it says, this is an acrostic for the three tractates of Talmud that deal with strict decrees, that deal with whom wrote, which is again, the root word for donkey, which is Hamor. So the root word whom wrote is related to Chom Riyut, which is related to Hamor. Man, this uh, Chet, this Mem, and this Resh. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff in that that word. So let me do the gematria of that. 248, Avraham. The number of positive mitzvot. Chet, Mem, Resh, 248. That's what that equals. And then 2 plus 4 is 6. 6 plus 8 is 14. That is the Sangamatria is Yad, which is hand, and also the Sangamatria is David. So you have this idea of the hand, the king, you know, David, you know, how he is considered to be the father of the Mashiach. So the son of the king, which again, sons of the king are those who are spiritual and physically united. When the spiritual and the physical unite, the Jewish people are considered the sons of the king. And then you have the Ramach, which is the spear, because uh, that is 248 in the Gematria. And then uh, the number of words in the Shema, the first paragraph, is 248. So first and second paragraph, Slika, is 248. So, uh, all right. That's Eruvin, Nidai, and Yevamot, the strict decrees of Torah. And it says, in the mystical realms, so in the, the Kabbalah, these tractates represent the control of the physical. Okay, so the spiritual controlling the physical is this Oni, this humble one who's riding on the donkey. Wow. This humility, the strictness is the physical being ruled by the spiritual then it continues it says so these tractates represent the control of the physical realm as it is given over to the angelic forces supervised by the faithful servant of the king the angel memtet the commands of the king are delegated to this angel to carry out or delegate to others he represents the spiritual forces affecting the physical world. Mashiach in the spiritual realms is known as Memtet. So the king's faithful servant 
our Mashiach himself says, you know, I don't do my own thing. I do what I see my father doing. You know, I speak only with his words. I do only what he commands. Wow. Moshe began to show us this. Mashiach definitely fulfilled and finished that out and took it to a whole nother level. So then it says he represents the spiritual forces affecting the world's until the servant fulfills his command, he is not called king. Until the servant fulfills his command, he is not called king. So when he fulfills the command, he's called king. Are you serious? The higher spiritual level is only revealed when there is unity between the spiritual and the physical, between the king and the community of Israel. He is not called king until he rides on his horse which is the community of Israel, when the king is outside his residence, not united with his queen, he is not in his full majesty. In the future, when he returns to his residence, then God shall be king over all the earth. On that day, God will be one and his name will be one. Zechariah 14, 9. That's the end of the Elenu, by the way. All Israel are called sons of the king. Their relationship is like father and son, but not like the sons of the king until they return to the land of Israel. When they return to the land of Israel, the full majesty of their relationship will be revealed. So this is from Zohar Parsha Kitetse 276a. Was probably just kind of like, I don't know what happened. <laughs> All right, so I guess we'll just keep going here. Um, eventually, we got to get into Show Enough Pinkus because it's ultimately where I was intending to bring us. But I'm uh, just stuck on this whole ox and donkey and how the donkey is the physical material world and the ox being Yosef representing the servant of the king and how he's the fruitful vine and how it's the vine is dispersing all of this different nutrients and everything throughout the rest of the vineyard. And that is pretty much Memtet, you know, bringing us into um, physical um, union, you know, like he's the spiritual delegate of the forces of the spirit world, the spirit realm coming down, the spiritual coming into the physical and through that, uniting us with Hashem. I mean, that's quite a concept. So I'm the vine and you're the branches. And there's that. And so when we think about being made one with Hashem and being transformed, I mean, you know, we're in the month of Elul and we've been talking about the idea of making shuva, getting our heart circumcised, going to war against our flesh being our essence, having our essence transformed, not just refining ourselves, but really becoming new, you know, putting off the old, putting on the new. Man, it's interesting that the Zohar portion brings out pretty much you need Memtet to do that. <laughs> wow. He has dominion over the physical via the spiritual. And he is called the one who is poor and humble Riding on a donkey, which is what Mashiach did to give us dominion over the physical. Says to take my yoke upon you. I'm just talking in circles right now because, I mean, understanding this and, and getting this into a, a manifestation of like, okay, 
take this knowledge and this wisdom and this insight and just like make it practical, make it easy to grasp and make it doable. Because, I mean, that's what we're called to now. We're responsible for this information and we have to walk in it. So, again, we have to be transformed. We're a servant of Hashem. Now, it says that um, this is another Zohar drop. Parshaki Tete 276a says, If you say that Memtet is a commoner, this is only correct when compared to the master of all blessings, which is Hashem. So the only way Memtet is known as a commoner is when you compare him to Hashem. This is why the verse is written, I believe it's, no, I'm not going to say I believe, I'm just going to read it to you. Uh, Philippians 2. It says that um, Philippians 2, 6, who though he was in the form of Hashem, did not count equality with Hashem a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. And it's Philippians 2, 6, and 7. So connect that to this. Memtet is only a commoner when compared to the master of all blessings, God. So it says, we are warned not to take the blessing of an ordinary person lightly. And that quote-unquote ordinary person is a commoner compared to the king. The commoner is Memtet. Now, Adam, the first man, didn't safeguard the honor that was given to him. He was originally created with the consciousness of all four spiritual worlds. Okay, so from the highest heavens all the way down to earth, Adam had consciousness of all of that. Which is now what Memtet has because Adam, you know, didn't safeguard that honor that was given to him. So like Memtet manifests in the flesh, literally is a picture of the first Adam, which is why Memtet manifests actually in the flesh when it became the actual reality. That's why Mashiach is called the second Adam, you know, or the greater Adam, I would say. The one who took us out of death and brought us into life and restored us to the ability to have consciousness of the, the four spiritual worlds through him. Notice I said through him. And it's not just that we get to go and be like Adam now. We get to be in the pattern of the second Adam by being connected to him. So then it says, but by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam fell from the consciousness of absolute truth and instead became conscious of only the lowest world, which is this uh, level and plane of existence that we're in now. So the only reason why, man, okay, I got to read it. It's Romans 8. <laughs> wow. The only reason why we're only conscious of this world and not the highest, higher worlds without Mashiach, without the Torah, without Hashem, I mean, wow. Let's see here. Yep. Romans 7.14. Okay. So 7.14. So this is the result of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Therefore, what are we to say that the Torah is sinful? Hashem forbid. Shalom. Rather, the function of Torah was that without it, I would not have known what sin is. For example, oh, that's Romans 7.7. 7. But anyway. There's that. And then go to 14. The verse I meant to read. 
for we know that the Torah is of the spirit. But as for me, I am bound to the old nature sold to sin as a slave. That's what the Zohar portion is bringing out, that eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we're sold to sin as a slave because we lost our consciousness of the higher worlds. And now we only have the consciousness of this world. So if you understand that in the context of, you know, having the flesh of a donkey before you're delivered from Egypt, you know, you're likened to having only a material comprehension and consciousness, physical, no spiritual, running out the desires of the flesh and nothing higher. It's just like, yep, that's the fruit, pun intended, of the knowledge of good and evil, which is the kita, which is the wheat that apparently the Zohar portion brings down that that was the fruit of the tree, that it was bread. And again, this is why I mentioned that if you think about Shabbat, what is the offering of first fruits? None other than two loaves of leavened bread, one for good, one for evil. <coughs> you know, the good and the evil that's rectified. So not necessarily that the loaf, one loaf is a good loaf and one loaf is a <coughs> evil loaf, Slika. But the, the picture here that. Within the wheat itself, remember, there is the wheat and the tares. There is the element of sin and the element of holiness. It's just like those things should not be able to coexist. It's like that's correct. They shouldn't. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's what that embodied. And because we ate of that, we now don't understand how to keep those things separate. You know, like separate out our sin, you know, because we're supposed to be walking in holiness. And by default, if you're walking in holiness, you're walking away from sin. I have no idea what is going on here. Sleek, I apologize. It's hard to like talk or something. Okay. Anyway, the distribution of abundance in this world is governed by Memtet, which represents a constriction of God's powers into the world of imagination, the world of good and evil. So there's this idea of the infiniteness of Hashem being channeled like as a vessel and a pipeline into this world through Memtet. So again, I am the vine and you are the branches. I'm distilling it down and into you and you're distilling it down and into the world. So then it says, so Adam was reduced from his station above and the from his station above the angels and forced to eat with his donkey. Wow. Yeah, they just said Adam was reduced from his station above the angels. What is man that you're mindful of him? You made him a little lower than the angels. Well, before that, apparently we were higher than the angels. <laughs> okay. And uh, again, in the Alam Haba, we will be judging the angels. I mean, Shaul brings that down in Corinthians. That's why we don't go to Gentile courts. But anyway, I see you're here nor there. That's beyond the scope of this drosh teaching. It says in Hebrew, the word for donkey is kamor, which also relates to the word for physicality and material. Thus, Adam was made to physically eat and become involved with the material world as a result of his falling from the spiritual heights for which he was designed. See, I love that we were designed 
to be beyond this world. We were designed to be in the world, but not of it. Through the marring and the results of sin, we are not able to rise there. But through Mashiach Yeshua, we're able to rise there because he's bringing us back to where we were before eating from the tree. And it's only through partaking of his flesh and his blood, of his knowledge, of his good, of his knowledge, of understanding what evil actually is, keeping those things separated, eating from the tree of life, basically. We're being brought back into spiritual rectification and tikkun. That's why we're given this life. And I was talking again this, on the previous evening about we're on a time frame. We're elevating these holy sparks and we're rebuilding. And so through one man, sin came into the world with the first Adam. Through one man also, life enters into the world. And that's the second Adam. So we're on this upswing through Messiah Yeshua. Thank you, Hashem. <clears throat> so it says, thus Adam was made to physically eat, becoming involved with the material world as a result from falling from spiritual heights. He said to God after being told that his food would be from the earth that would sprout thorns and thistles, will my donkey and I eat the same stall? Or will my donkey and I eat in the same stall? Pesachim 118a. And then Bereshit 49, 14 this time. And Yisachar, by his effort and learning that the the that material his effort in learning that material which is torah became worthy to be called a bony donkey so yisachar has this effort that he exerts in studying the torah and he's likened to a bony donkey the word bony bony in hebrew is garem which also means to cause so by his Torah learning, Yisachar caused the breaking of the shell of physicality and reconnecting to its spiritual source. Thus, his partner tribe, Zebulun, was very successful in business since the merit of his partner's learning caused the divine abundance to flow directly through him rather than through Bemtet. Now, here's the picture again of the two humans on the plowshare. You have Yisachar and Zebulun. And because of what Yisachar is doing, Zebulun is victorious. So I submit to you what Mashiach is doing. We, when we yoke with him, are victorious. And this is the um, the picture that Hizkuni brings down from Devarim 2210. Uh, continues going on saying that we're just not going to go there because they're going like really in depth. And uh, this has already been deep enough. So pullback rerouting okay so Todarabah Zohar let's go ahead and jump into Shonuf Pincus without further ado alright alright Brukasham we are locked and loaded alright so interestingly enough Shonuf Pincus drops in on some Devarim 2210 and then he drops in on some Hizkuni so we're using the same source. That's legit. And then he goes into Avodah Zarah 5b. Okay, I didn't go there, but that's cool. Rabbi Yochanan said in the name of Rabbi Bana'ah. What is the meaning of that which is written? Yeshayahu 3220. 
fortunate are you who sow upon all waters, who send away the feet of the ox and the donkey. This means fortunate is Israel when they engage in Torah study and the performance of acts of kindness for their yetzer is delivered into their hands and they are not delivered into the hands of their yetzer. For it is stated, fortunate are you who sow by all waters. Sowing only refers to Zadaka, as it is stated in Hosea 10:12. Sow for yourselves Zadaka. Reap according to Chesed. Water only refers to Torah, as it is stated, Yeshayahu 55.1. Ho, everyone that is thirsty, go to the water, go to the Torah, who send away the feet of the ox and the donkey. Atana of the Academy of Eliyahu taught in a Bereta. A person should always apply himself to the words of Torah, like an ox to a yoke, and like a donkey to a burden. All right, so that's the end of that little snippet. Um, nope, never mind. Just kidding. This passage teaches us that the Yetzirah that assails mankind is described as the feet of the ox and the donkey, whereas those who study the Torah and perform acts of chesed are described as those who send away the feet of the ox and the donkey, indicating they're able to thwart the efforts of the Yetzirah. Now it's the end of that little portion. So when you look at not plowing with an ox and a donkey in the same yoke, that's because the ox and the donkey, when you put them together, equals the Yetzahara. And you already saw from the Hizkuni comment that the donkey gets upset with the ox. So there's this strife and this contention because the ox is like, oh, I'm working hard and I don't know what you're doing, donkey. And I'm also eating. I don't know what you're doing. So it's like this uh, very unfair <laughs> yoking. And it's just like, uh, yeah, but when you put the two of them together, that's the Yetzahara. But what we're actually supposed to do is separate those two animals out from one another and take the essence of what they are and use that when we are in the plow, when we're in the yoke. We're to be in the yoke, not as an ox beside a donkey, but like an ox with the bearing of a donkey. So it's like, don't yoke, don't uh, plow a field with these two animals, but plow a field like these two animals. So take the strength of the ox with the bearing a load of a donkey. And that's how you take the yoke of Mashiach upon you. You take Yosef and put him together with overcoming the material world. You know, you take the element of Mashiach Yeshua who rode upon a donkey. And that's how you do it. So, love that he brought that out. Now, uh, so, this idea of um, the donkey and the ox united being the Yetzirah. Let's go ahead and drop down. This is page two now of Show Enough Pinkus. At the very bottom on the left side, he says... I'd like to bring an interpretation of the mitzvah of lo ase, of the donkey and the ox. It says in his composition, Asara Ma'amarot, the Rama of Pano introduces an incredible chiddish regarding the shape of the golden calf. Why is the golden calf so bad? What caused this to be such an issue 
says the agata says that its upper half towards his head resembled an ox. You know, the face of the ox. Okay, the, the four living creatures that surround the throne, the chayot, one has the face of an ox. It says, so the golden calf on its upper half towards his head resembled an ox eating grass. The lower half towards his tail resembled a donkey. Now, I wonder what that would have to do with you're the head, not the tail. Because I realize in um, context that it's something that doesn't relate to this. Or is it? Because in Devarim 28.13, it says, Hashem will make you the head, not the tail. You will always be at the top and never at the bottom. If only you obey and faithfully observe the mitzvot of Adonai that I enjoin upon you today. It says, if you will hearken... This is Rashi. If you resolve in your heart to observe and to practice, the core principle is not to depart from following God and thereby engage in idolatry. Notice when you depart from following God, idolatry is not far behind. When you part, when you depart from following God and thereby engage in idolatry. Wow. For idolatry, the denial of God, i.e. that is the denial of God. Idolatry is the denial of God. And it says, and this is the root of all transgressions. Conversely, to affirm the unity of God is to observe and to practice the mitzvot in the sense that its root of all observance. In this sense, that is the root of all observance and all practice. So affirming the unity of God. This is why the Shema is the greatest commandment. Because it says that if, if you affirm the unity of God, that is to observe and to practice all his commandments. And in that sense, it is the root of all observance. So that's um, intense. The Tur Ha'arok says, as a head and not as a tail, a head of all the nations, not as the tail of a nation, more distinguished than you. It was possible theoretically to rank as number one over it was possible theoretically to rank as number one over all among the nations and at the same time to trail some nation in a specific matter. Alternatively, Moshe might have meant that in the best case scenario, when you deserve it, you will be the number one among all the nations. But in the worst case scenario, even when you have endured chastisements by God, you will never be the tail, the lowest ranking of all other nations. Okay, so you put that with this, and it's talking about from the uh, this gentleman, the Rama of Pano, talking about the head of the golden calf being the ox and the tail being the donkey. And so Yisrael being the head, not the tail. You know, being the ox and not the donkey. So, not that that's related, but I just thought that was an interesting correlation. And um, when you do the improper yoking again, when you properly are, when you improperly put these two animals together, that is the golden calf. So, you don't want a picture of that in your life. You got to get rid of that. Okay, so the source for this notion is found in the Takuni Zohar. 
Tikkun 5, 142a, it says, When it, the Torah, calls the Erev Rav, Shemot 32.3, the entire people unburdened themselves of the golden rings, and Aharon threw it all into the fire, and the golden calf emerged in the shape of an ox in the shape of a donkey. Okay, so Zohar Beshalach 64b says that when these two forces of impurity join as one, the world is doomed. So why were we thrown back into sin? Um, we were brought back into the subjugation to death because before the golden calf, when we reached the mountain, especially with saying Naseva Nishma, we were purified of all sin, of all death, and we were going to live forever receive the sapphire tablets and go into Eretz Israel. all the nations would be subjugated to Hashem without a fight and Moshe would build a temple the temple would never be destroyed the people would never fall into sin or exile and that would have been the days of Mashiach or the Messianic era and it's just like but that didn't happen because of the golden calf so now uh, it says that the Megale Amukot Writes in Parsha Leklecha, Hakadosh Baruchu showed Abraham at the covenant of the parts, which is called the Brit Bain Ha Besarim, which is Bereshit 15:10. He took all of these and split them in the center. It is known that there are 17 nations of the world. They are divided into two groups: 35 on the left side of Kedushah, which is like strict judgment, strict justice. And they are led by Samak Lamed, which is the guardian angel of Asav. And opposite them, there are 35 on the right side, which is the Kedushah, led by Rahab. It's looking like what the word says, but um, I'm just going to go with Resh Vav or Resh Vet. Because uh, you do the acronyms of all the angels, so you don't really uh, pronounce them out. So sleek eye on that one. So the, the right side is led by Resh Bet, which is the guardian angel of Ishmael. So you have Asav on the left, Ishmael on the right, Samiklamid on the left, Resh Bet on the right. So with that being said, the covenant between the parts, which is what Hashem showed Abraham, he's walking between the decimated golden calf. Because when you put the left and the right together, when you put Asav and Yishmael together, that's what the golden calf was. So it says, 70 nations, which is Ele opposite Ele. In other words, we have Lamed He, which are 35 on the right, with their leader, the Aleph, opposite the Lamed He, the 35 nations of the left, with their leader, Aleph. So the word Ele can be separated out to Lamed and Hay, which is 35, headed by the Aleph, which would be 36. So you got the 35 with their leader and the 35 with their leader. The Aleph is the leader. The Aleph is the head. Okay. So it says, in fact, the holy people of Israel stand in the middle between the two groups. So, so much for the straight and narrow path that Mashiach was talking about. That's like, wow, we're in between a rock and a hard place, like for real. So it says this illusion is cited in the passage above. He took two sets, 
of this 35 plus their leader, which is the Ale, comprising of the 17 nations and their heads. And he split them into two halves and placed Israel between them. This is also alluded to in Tehillim 20, verse 28. And it says this refers to the two corresponding sets of Ale, representing the 17 nations. And then the Nizkir refers to Israel, the one in the middle. So between Esav and Yishmael, that's where we stand. All right, so the powers of Chesed and Gevurah. Okay, so you have Chesed on the right, Gevurah on the left. And it says that these are from the sides of the Klippa when it's uh, Ishmael and Esav. Uh, Whatever the negative aspect of Chesed is, that's embodied in Esav. And the negative aspect of Gevurah is embodied in Yishmael. And it's interesting because you look at, um, it's like I reversed that. Esau is on the left, Yishmael's on the right. Right, 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 right. Where are we at? Yeah, the left side is Esau. Okay. Because remember, Kesed and Gavura, left and right. Okay. Gavura's on the left, Kesed on the right. So on the left, Gavura is the element of uh, Yitzhak. And Yitzhak had uh, Esau and Yaakov for sons. And then Avraham embodies Chesed, which is on the right side. His sons were Ishmael and Yitzhak. And so when you take the impure sons from those uh, heritages, you have Esau on the left and Yishmael on the right. Okay, so those elements is what we're talking about here. Those are called klipot, which is just uh, impurities. And it says that um, when Esau went to Ishmael, so when he went, so when he united the left and the right together, making the golden calf, it says he took Machalot, the daughter of Ishmael. And that was from earlier in Bereshit um, 28.9. And it says that he was trying to do this to overcome Yaakov because Yaakov synthesized Abraham and Yitzhak, but in holiness and righteousness and purity. So that's called Kedushah. So you have the anti-Kedushah, which is the golden calf. And then you have Kedushah, which is Yaakov. So Yisrael versus the golden calf. So when Yisrael overcomes the golden calf, that's what we're after. So recognizing Esau's ploy, Yaakov sent him the following message. Bereshit 32.5 I have sojourned with Levon. Rashi points out the word Gerati is an anagram for Tariyag, which by the way is the same letters just rearranged. In other words, Yaakov is informing him, I lived with Levon, and nevertheless I observed the Tariyag mitzvot, i.e. Tariyag Tet Resh Yod Gimel 613. That's what that gematria is. So when you say Tariyag mitzvot, he's saying I observed the 613 mitzvot, which is the entirety of Torah. And he says, I was not influenced by his evil ways. 
to emphasize this point, in verse 6, Yaakov adds, Even with the two forces of Tuma, which is impurity, even with the two forces of impurity, even with the golden calf, the ox and the donkey on your side, I still have the power and wherewithal to defeat you. So this is why the tikkun, the repair for the golden calf, is studying the Torah, separating and splitting in half the ox and the donkey, separating the head and the tail and being in the middle of that. So the yoke is not that you need to yoke the ox and the donkey, but that you need to take the essence of the ox and the essence of the donkey. Stand in the middle, yoked with Messiah Yeshua, which is studying the Torah, destroying the golden calf. That's what we're after. Um, quick swerve. Avoda Zara 5a. No, let's go go back before that. Shabbat 146a. When Yisrael approached Har Sinai, the contamination of the primordial serpent, the Nakash, ceased to affect them. So in other words, they were free from sin, purified from death, no Yetzahara. However, after the golden calf, it returned in full force. Now, Avodah Zarah 5a. Yisrael only received the Torah so that the angel of death would not prevail over them. Tehillim 82.6 I said, you are divine, sons of the Most High. However, you have corrupted your deeds, and therefore, like men, you shall die. So I've called you Elohim. Man, I'm not going to get out the green book. I was I was going to, but we we're just way, way deep right now. So but anyway, uh, that will probably be a tab for another time with the help of Hashem. This whole thing about Elohim being called sons, divine sons of the Most High was because when we approached the mountain of God, you know, how who can ascend the mountain? He with clean hands and a pure heart. That was Moshe. But um, anyway, just approaching the mountain, we were purified of the Nakash and the Yetzahara. And then it was like, no, we'll take the golden calf. So we'll take that impurity back. And it's like, whoa. So we went from being divine sons to the most high to being men who shall die. OK, so now we're looking at this swerve that I wanted to bring up. Um, from the Midrash and it says SR 32.1 I'm not really sure what SR oh Shemot Rabbah Slika. Shemot Rabbah 32.1 Shemot 32.6 the script on the Lukot the tablet was provided by God it was engraved on the Lukot the word for engraved is Kharut it resembles the word Kharut which means freedom indicating that they were afforded freedom from exiles and freedom from the angel of death. All right. So now you connect that with Galatians 5.1. It was or it is for freedom that Mashiach has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Okay. Remember the donkey is the one who can bear the burden but the ox is the one that has the strength so standing firm galatians 5 1 is the strength of the ox the burdened by the yoke is the donkey 
And so if you put in the yoke, the ox with the donkey, okay, you're now removing yourself from freedom. But if you take the strength of the ox bearing the burden of the yoke like a donkey, you're now in the freedom of Hashem. Hopefully that is translating across because that's really powerful when you think about what that is. You don't yoke them together. You don't combine them together, but you take the picture and the essence that they represent and you use them. Okay, the freedom that Mashiach has granted us because he represents the engravings of the script that Hashem provides, the Torah, the word, the scripture, the spirit. You know, that's Mashiach. It's engraved in the Torah. It's engraved on the tablets. And that's what brings us freedom. And it says this explains why the calf took the form of the ox and the donkey. It indicated that as a result of the golden calf, Hasatan succeeded in uniting the forces of the ox and the donkey, the two klepot of Esau and Yishmael. Consequently, the reality of the angel of death and the exiles among the 70 nations of the world returned. This is the gist of his sacred remarks with some additional clarification. All right. So we were granted freedom, but when we decided to take the golden calf, we gave up that freedom. So this is why, again, Galatians 5.1 juxtaposes the freedom that Mashiach granted us and saying, don't be burdened again by a yoke of slavery when you're standing firm. Don't re-yoke, don't reconnect the ox with the donkey. Take the strength of the ox and the burden bearing of the donkey and be free in Mashiach. And this is how we study Torah. So with that being said, that's the next thing that Shodanoff Pinkus goes into is studying the Torah. And Avodah Zarah 5b, again, Atana from the Academy of Eliyahu taught in a Bereta. A person should always apply himself to words of Torah like an ox to a yoke and like a donkey to a burden. And then you have to make the distinction between the ox to a yoke and a donkey to a burden. And then Bereshit 49.14, just like the Zohar brought up in this week, it says that Yisachar is a strong-boned donkey. He rests between the boundaries. So he bears a heavy burden, which is the yoke of Torah. And then one must study the Torah like an ox to a yoke and like a donkey to a burden. So now we're bringing in Hulin 7a. And then it says, um, this is from the teachings of the Qasim Sofer. <laughs> wow. So escalating quickly around here. An ox with a yoke symbolizes in-depth Torah study aimed at clarifying precise nuances and details of a given halakha. Whereas a donkey bearing a burden symbolizes reviewing the details of various halakot. And then... The Benishkai and his sefer Ben Yehoyada. It says the ox bearing a yoke represents Torah study aimed at depth and understanding, whereas the donkey bearing a load represents study aimed at comprehensive knowledge and being well versed. This is why you see that the donkey bears a heavy burden. Because if you take the Torah and you just want to study the comprehensive knowledge and being well versed 
Well, there's a burden in much studying. I believe Kohelet points that out. Yeah, Kohelet 1.13, I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. That could be interpreted very negative, but I will just let you know very lovingly that if you see that negatively, that would be something you might want to reconsider. Seeing the fact that the burden comes from there is so much. And then when you try to be well versed in that amount of knowledge and insight and wisdom and gleanings and teachings, when you try to do that, that definitely is a burden. And to be a human being and take that on is not possible. I mean, maybe it is, but you're probably going to be like in the world or not even in the world and not even of it at that point. Because how can you be? I mean, you're going to have to forsake all of your physical needs in order to do that. Like some sitting in a isolated room, living off bread and water alone type isolation, like not having a family, not having a job, not having a place of, uh, not having a house, basically, maybe like some kind of shack or living outside or something. I don't know. But unless you're going to be completely supported, I mean, that's like 24 seven, literally 24 seven tourist study, which would be a major, massive burden. So just kind of looking at that, that's where the burden comes from. The burden comes from this is study that is aimed at comprehensive knowledge and being well versed. This is like fine tooth combing details on top of details. That's what a donkey bears. But then the ox, though, is all about I want depth when I'm studying and I want understanding because that's strength. When you have depth and understanding, you have sources. And it's like, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I don't know, but there's a lot of stuff that I do know. And what I do know, I definitely understand it and I'm able to put it into practice. That's what the strength of an ox is. Okay, so Ben Ishkai, Tola Rabah. So, Chafetz Chaim. Why not? So, he explains the function of the ox is to plow the earth so that it will be able to bear fruit. Mishle 4-4, for Mishle 14-4. Goodness, I want to pull out Shomer Blue. Oh my goodness. So Shabbat uh, endeavors, they shall be Burgeshim. Okay, anyway, uh, the strength of the ox yields an abundance of crops. The function of the donkey, in contrast, is merely to carry the crops. Oh my goodness. So if you think about that, if you think about it, like the ox and like the donkey, not only are you fruitful from the labors of your study, but you're able to carry it, carry what you've harvested. And that's the, the bearing of the donkey. So you don't put them together because they're two different functions. One needs to precede the other. They can't work in tandem as far as like in the physical sense of the ox and the donkey with a yoke on it going into the field it's like let the ox go first 
and then bring in the donkey to carry what the ox is, is like plowed up, basically. This is crazy. I love this. He says, this is analogous to Torah study. At first, one must work hard to comprehend the words of Torah. Afterwards, once the mitzvah is clearly understood, he must review it over and over. And I'm going to add over and over. End of my adding. And it says, so that he doesn't forget it. So not only if you apply yourself to the Torah like an ox to a yoke and like a donkey to a burden, this is the fact that you're studying the Torah, you're applying it, and you're reviewing it. And, um, you know, Stav Soldat, <laughs> he has this thing where he was reading commentary and it says, unless you've learned a mitzvah and a, or an insight 40 times, then you just might as well just get used to uh, hearing it repeated. And none of this, oh yeah, I know that, or oh, you didn't know that. You know, it's like, that's not even right because unless you've reviewed it 40 times, you know, you really don't, you don't comprehend, you just don't understand. And then there's further elucidations. Uh, sure enough, Pink has brought this down way back in Parsha Shemot or something. No, Parsha Vayetze, matter of fact. When Esau and uh, Yaakov had their encounter after Esau left Levon, there was this idea of this uh, 400, this concept of 400. So unless you've reviewed a matter 400 times, you don't get the opportunity to say, oh, yeah, I know that already. Like, I need to learn something else now. It's like, mm, no, you don't. You got you learned this twice already. OK, so you got three hundred and ninety eight more times to learn. So, man. Imagine having 400 cycles of the Torah portions, like being 400 years old. That would be incredible. I mean, that's you would truly know the full Torah at that point. But anyway, so dropping down to the the conclusion here of Asaph versus Yaakov says Yaakov subjugated Asaph and Yishmael with the power of Torah. The world stands on three pillars. Mishnah Avot 1-2 stands on the Torah, religious service, and the performance of acts of kindness. Zohar Vayetze 146b explains that these three pillars are none other than the three patriarchs. Yaakov equals Torah. Yitzhak equals religious service. Avraham equals kindness. So... When Asaph and um, Yaakov had their encounter, it says, Therefore, by studying the Torah like an ox bearing a yoke and like a donkey bearing a load from the realm of Kedushah, he's able to subdue the union of Asaph and Yishmael, the ox and the donkey of the klipa, the golden calf. So Yaakov is able to do that by himself. When we take upon us the yoke of Mashiach Yeshua, learn of him and he grants us rest he's giving us victory and dominion though we do not have the strength and the ability to do so on our own but because we're yoked with him we become like Yaakov overcoming Esau and Yishmael the golden calf and the klipa in other words as Shodanuf Pincus puts it right here by studying the Torah like an ox and a donkey it says that Yaakov was able to say, I succeeded in defeating you, even though you joined forces with Yishmael. 
So, some rectification remarks from Shodan Pincus. He says, it's clear what is expected of us during the month of Elul. It is our sacred duty to rectify the damage caused by the golden calf. Then it says, as we've learned, there are two methodologies of Torah study. Rigorous in-depth analysis. Comprehensive learning and knowledge. By means of the ox and the donkey of Kedushah. We are able to abolish the union of Ishmael and Asaph, which is the golden calf. And this last statement here to close out our study for the evening. It says we learn that the last exile, the one that we're currently in, responds to the two legs of the exile of Edom and the exile of Ishmael. They correspond to the clepot of the ox and the donkey who join, who want to join forces to wage war against Israel. So, Kitetse, when we go out to war, here it is. This is what we're warring against in this week's Torah portion. We're, we're warring against the clepot. And it says, it was precisely for this reason that Hakadosh Baruchu warned us not to plow with an ox and a donkey joined together. The key is for us to commit ourselves to studying Torah with rigorous in-depth analysis and comprehensive knowledge. By means of the ox and the donkey of Kedushah, we will, I repeat, we will eliminate the ox and the donkey, the klipot of Esau and Yishmael. And in this merit, we will be privileged to witness the complete Geula swiftly in our times amen so baruch hashem and the merits of our torah study overcoming the klepot destroying the golden calf we will merit to be redeemed from exile so may we cry out to hashem to really say please yoke us with you we receive the yoke of mashiach yeshua upon us we learn of him may you grant us rest may you bring us into the land Rebuild the temple, bring in the converts. Please bring us our King, Mashiach Yeshua. Amen, the Amen. What do we know? What do we know? Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet, Vekaye Olam Natabetokeinu, Baruch Atah Adonai, Noten HaTorah, Amen. Amen Adonai. I would like to tag the words of Shonaf Pincus this week that says Adonai will redeem us when we occupy ourselves with the study of his Torah and he will do so in the merit of Moshe. So Adonai may it be so that we merit the redemption speedily and soon in our days as we occupy ourselves with the study of your Torah, your living Torah, Mashiach Yeshua and taking his yoke upon us with the strength of an ox and with the bearing of a donkey. Amen. Well, may your Shabbat be blessed, everyone, and may you have a Shavuot Tov, and may Hashem show you beautiful and wonderful things in his Torah. Go out and make converts of the nations and teach them everything Mashiach Yeshua taught us. Let's do the Great Commission until the coming of the Messiah. Amen. Shalom.